For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Just one step from acting a whole lot like the House if the party in the minority is no longer able to block legislation. Right now, most bills need 60 votes to clear procedural hurdles in the Senate. Most of the time, Democrats and Republicans have to work together unless uh, one party controls more than 60 seats in the chamber. Currently, Republicans hold 52 seats. Both parties have tried to use... But one is actually sort of getting in line. So... Earlier during the day, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell claimed that he had the 50 votes he needs, plus Vice President Mike Pence as a tiebreaker. That's what you can do. You can use the vice president as a uh, tiebreaker, if needed, to invoke the constitutional option and confirm President Donald Trump's first Supreme Court nominee. With his towering structure and stature in the party, both the uh, in seniority and later as the 2008 presidential nominee, what a sad time that was. And then, no, oh, please, uh, Palin as VP pick, John, John, John. McCain was seen by some as the de facto chairman of the Gang of 14 effort in 2005 to save the option of filibustering judicial nominees in the future. But allowing through many of President George Bush's nominees that were then being blocked by a Democrat, Democrat, sorry, filibuster. Ironically, that strategy's architect was none other than a little Chucky Schumer, who implemented it in 2003. Mike is telling me in chat that there's something wrong with the feed. There may be on the shrmedia.com side. I recommend, sir, anybody that's having an issue, refresh. And let me refresh and continue. Do you see this? Do you see all the wheels within wheels? On the other hand, this is McCain serving McCain, and simultaneously, when it sort of pleases him, you know, when, it, when it's convenient, doing the work of the GOP. The unprecedented nature of the Democrats' filibuster of a Supreme Court nominee has left me in a diff- uh, difficult position, the Arizona Senator lamented on the state of affairs in 2017 and after surveying years of past practice in Senate confirmations. I'm left with no choice, McCain declared. I will vote to change the rules to allow Judge Gorsuch to be confirmed by a simple majority. So, the nuclear option, when we talk about that, you've probably heard lots of folks say, nuclear option this, nuclear option that. Well, what is it? What is it? The one thing to know about the nuclear option is you may not understand it, but it does really matter. The nuclear option is sort of a commonplace term for a way in which the filibuster rules of the Senate are end run. This, by the way, is Chris Saliza from CNN, who actually does a fairly damn good job of doing this. Usually to stop debate on any matter in front of the Senate, you need to get 60 votes. But if you use the nuclear option, you take that 60 vote margin and take it down to a majority 51 vote threshold. In 2013, Harry Reid, after months and months of threatening to deploy the nuclear option, actually did it. It's time to get the Senate working again. Not for the good of the current Democratic majority 
or some future Republican majority, but for the good of the United States of America. Remember that when it's good for the uh, Democrats, it's simultaneously good for everyone. Isn't that nice to know? That's a nice to know. That's an important safety tip. The filibuster, whether real or threatened, had always been a way that the Senate distinguished itself from the House. The House very much runs on a majority rule rule. If you have the votes, you have the votes. In the Senate, in order to close off that debate, which means to force an actual majority vote, you needed always to have 60. It required typically some bipartisan consensus building because neither party often had 60 plus seats in their control. When you remove that, you start to slide even further down the slippery slope that Harry Reid started us all on in 2013. If we've already wiped out the use of the traditional filibuster, that 60 vote margin, on several big things, including Supreme Court nominees, what's to stop either this majority or the next majority, Democrat or Republican, from instituting it on legislative matters? And at that point, the Senate fully becomes the House. Judge Gorsuch is going to be confirmed. The way in which that occurs is in the hands of the Democratic minority. Getting rid of the 60-vote margin or the filibuster threat, while bad for democracy, is frankly a good thing for political party bases. There will be no penalty at the ballot box for these sorts of things, which makes me think we may see more erosion rather than less of the filibuster in years to come. That said, that's a good question. When you do this, what are the consequences? Because what do we know about next year? What do we know about 2018? We know those are the midterm elections. And the people that are up for elections uh, are generally those people in areas, politicians in areas that were taken by Donald Trump. Which is highly, highly important. Now, we mentioned earlier, and I said, remember, we're going to come back to this. People are act, act, they're asking, what is cloture? C-L-O-T-U-R-E, not closure. Sorry, it's the accent. It does it to everyone. But cloture, what is it? Well, let's listen and maybe this will explain something. In regards to the filibuster, don't make the mistake of thinking of it as purely as a Senate power, as in its constitutional power, such as ratify treaties confirm nominations, etc., etc. The filibuster is an internal procedure that the Senate designs for itself, and that's something to keep in mind. The Constitution does say that the House and the Senate can write their own rules on how they operate. The Senate allows a filibuster. Just remember, the basics of a filibuster are very straightforward. We're going to have a debate and discussion before we vote on a bill. That seems like common sense. Shouldn't we debate it and discuss it? Isn't that important? But what happens is this. In the Senate, there is no time limit on debate, so you are capable of debating and discussing a bill literally for years, well, at least for a session of Congress. And if you could debate or discuss a bill for a whole session of Congress, what you end up doing is you prevent it being turned into law. This allows a party, which happens to be the minor party and does not have the votes, can actually block a bill. Now, to block that, or to, I should say, end a filibuster, you have to invoke something known as cloture. It's also called Rule 22 where if you get 60 senators to agree, they will establish a timeline for debate on that specific bill, which is being filibustered. This is very difficult to do. The last time a filibuster was broken was when the Democrats, for a very fleeting moment, had 60 Democrat senators. With those 60 senators, they were able to invoke cloture on a vigorous Republican filibuster against the Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare. 
But this last, now this was a major achievement, don't get me wrong, but this 60-seat majority was, was fleeting, to say the least, because in the 2010 midterm, Republicans came back. Democrats in 2012 managed to win and pick up two seats in the Senate, but even still, we were at 55-45, so that the Republicans still now have essentially the ability to filibuster any legislation. There has been talk of reforming the filibuster, as in weakening it. But with that said, keep in mind, Democrats, who are the majority in the chamber now and could do it, even here there's a little reticence. Because think about it. What if one day Republicans become the majority again? What if? Imagine that. Look, the filibuster is often attacked by the majority party, but it's an insurance policy. And the wheel does turn. Majorities do become minority. And when that happens, that filibuster is a nice tool to block really bad legislation or legislation you feel might be really bad for the country. So that's true. What if the Republicans become the majority again? Well, zounds, Zolly, it really did happen. What a shame. Inside baseball, but very important. Full circle it's come. Should be uh, no shock to anybody, but, you know, a major shock to the Democrats who hadn't fully anticipated that the Republicans, heretofore unpossessed of a spine invertebrate, as I say, actually grew a modicum of one under a president who uh, was quaffed in an orange dead cat on the top of his head. Again, a little bit more about the nuclear option. Hello, Earth to Audio. What is the nuclear option? Is the nuclear option? The nuclear option? Is to invoke the nuclear option. Plan the so-called nuclear option. If the Senate minority is blocking the majority... What I can tell you is that Neil Gorsuch will be confirmed this week. How that happens really depends on our Democratic friend. I find it ironic and sad that we're going to change the rules over somebody who's lived such a good life. Lindsey Graham. And then you get to reduce the number of votes needed for passage this former GOP Senate Majority Leader, it was him, Trent Lott, who coined the term, the nuclear option, likening the course of action to a last resort, kind of like nuclear war. And in the past, senators have threatened to Mr. use President, the move. I'm on their side, which is why I propose an important change to the rules of the United States Senate. Well, in order to ensure Obama's nominees would be approved in 2013, Judge Gorsuch, they did it. The podium, sir... Is yours. And now, that's why the battle over Trump's pick for Gorsuch emerged. 51 votes were needed instead of 60. The question is now, will the majority leader and our friends on the other side break the rules of the Senate to approve Judge Gorsuch on a majority vote? Right. That question should be the focus of the debate here on the floor. And it should weigh heavily on the conscience of every senator. Well, yes, and John McCain had some things to say about that. Remember, it was Trent Lott who coined the term. And it's uh, actually a, a pretty effective Joining term, Joining me from I'd Capitol say. Hill. Quiet. Um, so, you know, they did decide to go nuclear, but we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. The Senate Judiciary Committee has already approved Judge Neil Gorsuch. So one thing that I simply can't understand, though, can, can someone attempt to explain to me, obviously, the advantage? What is the advantage acquired by the Democrats in the filibustering of Judge Gorsuch? Because 
once changed, the rule is going to allow the GOP to get another potential SCOTUS nominee during this term or another subsequent. So I, I happen to have information to indicate that there's likely going to be another SCOTUS vacancy somewhere this year, and perhaps another, that's three, by forcing a, a filibuster, now the Democrats are going to have potentially three SCOTUS replacements that they lost, all under President Donald Trump, the guy they absolutely hate. Interesting is this. Three Democrat senators decided that they were going to take a stand with 52 Republicans and 48 Democrats in the Senate. The GOP needs eight Democrats, well, they needed eight Democrats, to join them to break that filibuster to equal the number 60. It takes 60 votes. At that point, however, the article, three Democrats came out, only three, and they said that they would support Gorsuch. They were Senators uh, Joe Manchin of West Virginia, uh, Heidi Heitkamp of North Dakota, and Joe Donnelly of Indiana. And you can do you can you imagine the holy hell that has been and will be handed to them, their arses handed to them, and how many choice, wonderful little juicy committees they're going to get kicked out of for having deigned to cross the line and to cross little Chucky Schumer? Well, then it did happen. It happened. It happened today. The big red handle got pulled. Because, you know, the GOP said they'd do it. The Democrats filibustered Judge Neil Gorsuch for SCOTUS. They didn't have to do it, but it was their decision. All decisions, as we know, have consequences. So the GOP did, in fact, pull the big red we start with breaking news at 11, a chain of historic events in just the last few minutes in Congress. The U.S. Senate votes to use the so-called nuclear option. They blocked the Democrats' filibuster of Supreme Court nominee Neil Gorsuch. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell changed the Senate rules, allowing the Republicans to overcome the filibuster with a simple majority of 51 votes. All of this clearing the way for Colorado Judge Neil Gorsuch to become the next U.S. Supreme Court Justice. So here's the interesting point, and you may or may not remember that earlier I said John McCain said this was stupid, this was crazy to do, crazy. After 200 years, at least 100 years of this tradition where the Senate has functioned pretty well, they think it'd be a good idea to blow it up. There's some that say idiot. That no, whoever says that is a stupid idiot okay. who has not been here and seen what I've been through and how we were able to avoid that on several occasions and 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 they're stupid and don't and they've deceived their voters because they're so stupid so john mccain uh happened not to uh, like that at all but here's the interesting point in the end john mccain voted in the same fashion as all the other republicans in the senate stop you want to hear something really sad well of course you want to hear something really sad I was unconvinced, and I said so last night on the Sackheads radio show, that what was to guarantee that John McCain wouldn't step off the Republican playing field and decided, nope, not going to go for it. He's all, John McCain had already said, if you're not 
cognizant of it, that he wanted to he was he wanted to be courted by the Democrats so that he could come over to the Democrats from the Republicans. And the only reason it was in the uh, about 2007. 2007, 2008, right around in there. He wanted to be courted by the Democrats, and the only reason that he stayed a Republican is because they didn't love him enough. And he he was a little pissed about that. He was depressed because, as we all know about John McCain, it's all about him. So here's an article from CNN, who says I'm not an egalitarian, okay? Senate GOP triggers nuclear option to break Democratic filibuster on Gorsuch. The Senate Thursday triggered the so-called nuclear option, that allowed Republicans to break a Democrat filibuster of Supreme Court nominee Judge Neil Gorsuch. The chamber is now expected to confirm the vote on Friday. The controversial changes to Senate rules made along partisan lines allow filibusters of Supreme Court picks to be broken with only 51 votes rather than 60. And that's exactly what happened. After a year of tension... Over an empty Supreme Court seat as both parties in the Senate are poised to take action leading to an outcome neither party wants. It's a situation loaded with nuance, procedural twists, and Senate history, not to mention a spot on the nation's highest court, and a standoff that reflects a peak in polarization following a deeply divisive presidential election. Stop. Do you know? That's what this is all about. The move came after Democrats blocked the nomination under the previous 60-vote threshold. Only four Democrats, I'm sorry, there were four, one more, Senators Michael Bennett, that's the other one, Joe Donnelly, Heidi Heitkamp, and Joe Manchin, crossed party lines to side with the Republicans. Subsequent party line votes allowed the GOP majority to change the rules, leading to the final vote breaking the filibuster. However, simultaneously, here's an interesting article from the New York Times, and I find it interesting. You'll understand why when I get to the very last paragraph of this. And I'm going to mention the author of this because there's a point. The headline reads, After Senate filibuster's death, somber lawmakers seek path forward. By Jennifer Steinhauer. The conventional Washington wisdom dictates that the end of the judicial filibuster is also the end of life, and it is currently known in the Senate. Where, where are the fainting couches? Bring out the fainting couches. In truth, it may not make that much of a difference at all. In an unexpected way, it may well herald the beginning of a better era for the Senate. The Senate Republicans' successful effort on Thursday to end the 60-vote threshold to proceed with confirmation of Supreme Court nominee was ready, excuse me, was really only the final step in a process set in motion by Democrats. I'm sorry, I apologize. Democrats in 2013 when they removed that threshold for other nominees. That set off a bigger firestorm, and Republicans now have simply extended that precedent. Listen to this. This is the crux of the biscuit. Republicans are quick to point out, and many Democrats privately agree, that had former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton won the White House last year and Democrats taken the Senate, a similar confrontation was likely in the other direction, and that Democrats may have needed to take the same step as Republicans took to confirm any Supreme Court nominee that Mrs. Clinton had chosen. Color me absolutely gobsmacked now, okay, because the New York Times just allowed a bit of truth to creep out in an article. 
yeah, okay, obviously, the Democrats, we know, would have done the exact same thing had they been in power. But, see, because of this, I have just this little funny sneaking suspicion that old Jennifer Steinhauer may not have quite a loving, hallowed, and lengthy work future at the great lady, if you get what I mean. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. The move came after Democrats blocked the nomination under the previous 60-vote threshold. Only four Democrats came through. Uh, Manchin described Thursday as a very sad day, saying the Supreme Court won't have a check and balance system in which the minority has input on future justices. He argued that senators will rue the day that this happened. They all know what goes around comes around, Manchin told reporters. I was just extremely sad. And you know what? In kind of a way, I'm fairly sad too. But, you know, it was the Democrats who decided, they decided to filibuster what is fundamentally, in my opinion, a good, honest, serviceable, and dedicated individual like Judge Neil Gorsuch, who, who's, con- he has continued to maintain that he has and can remain independent in his opinions from the bench. That's their problem. That's the issue, the Democrats. He follows the law, and he allows it to inform and guide him. He doesn't, unlike Democrat leftist judges, he doesn't attempt to create transformative new law out of thin air where precedent does not exist. Both sides blamed each other for the episode. Democrats blasted Republicans for using the work around Republicans, meanwhile said that they felt they had no other option because of the Democrat filibuster. How did we get here? The Democrats put us there by doing the filibuster. That's my insight on it. Mike in chat says the gray lady. The gray lady is what is called the New York Times. That's sort of a, an historical name for it. The real truth comes next, however, from Orrin Hatch. For the life of me, I don't understand why the Democrats made such a fuss about this uh, nominee, said Orrin Hatch. They look stupid. The next one, I mean, expect Armageddon. I mean, you call Judge Gorsuch one of the most qualified judges ever be nominated. You're you're a friend. Almost everyone said the same thing about Merrick Garland, including you. So there seems to be a double standard. There seems to be a double standard where you're saying it was all right last year when we, for political reasons, halted the nomination of Merrick Garland. But say, you don't think this is CNN, do you? It's not okay this year when Democrats try to halt the nomination of Judge Gorsuch. Why is that not a double standard? I'll just tell you straight out, that's total BS of what you're saying there, because there... I can't go back in time and, and show you any case where during a presidential election year they've allowed a Supreme Court justice to be nominated unless both sides agreed, and both sides didn't agree on this. Now- Stop. Mike in chat just said they wasted the filibuster. Ding, ding, ding. If I could give you a digital hug, I would. That's absolutely correct. Absolutely. Uh, Mary Garland, he's a fine fellow. There's no question. A fine judge. He's a friend of mine. I went down personally to his chambers to uh, chat with him about this. And frankly, uh, it was every right of Senator McConnell and the Republicans to say, we're just not going to do this during the presidential year. And at that time, keep in mind, it looked as though Hillary was a sure winner and we would have gotten an even more liberal judge than that one. But that was a, that was a stand on principle, not some new uh, barbaric thing. That uh Well, the principle, not some barbaric thing. 
you know, go to my blog, bloviatingzeppelin.net. Insert in the search area the Joe Biden rule. Basically, the Joe Biden rule said, whoever's a lame duck president, you don't get to stack the Supreme Court in the last months of your presidency. And as the Joe Biden rule said, that if it's good for the Democrats, it's good for the Democrats. Well, hell, if it's good for the Democrats, it should be good for the Republicans. Isn't it convenient that none of the people in CNN right here remember anything about the Joe Biden rule? I'm in my seventh decade, and for fuck's sake, even I have a memory. Some have tried but, to make but, it. But, but, there, but there's never been a Supreme Court nomination that was held up on an election year eight months before Election Day. There have been Supreme Court nominees that were confirmed during election years. Again, all I'm saying... Yeah, but- that's when now, everybody saying, agreed. That, that's when you had bipartisan support for them. And frankly, you know, there's never been one of uh, this type that has been allowed to go through. I mean, you call Judge Gore. Yeah, and this little talking head seems to have no memory whatsoever. But, you know, that's why you listen to CNN, because you know full well that you're going to get people that have no memory. All righty, it's the top of the hour. We're going to take a break. And I do, in fact, have more buttery political goodness for you and some incredible shockers that are coming up. Stay here. Please stay tuned. Don't go away. Conservative media done right. You're listening to the SHR Media Network. Hey, it's Sean from the Sackheads Radio Show. Also one of the owners here at the SHR Media Network. Are you opinionated? Have you ever wanted to do your own show? Have you ever heard somebody like the Sackheads and go, yeah, I could probably do that better? Well, now's your chance. Send me a five-minute clip at sackheadsradio at gmail.com, and maybe you can be part of the SHR Broadcasting Team. Sackheadsradio at gmail.com. Times are dark. The people are misled by corrupt politicians, lied to by establishment media, and deceived by the false messages of Islam. A nation looking for direction needs a guide. It needs a man with a cane. I'm Dave Milner. Join me on Spreaker, SHR Media, Pundit Press Radio, and YouTube through the SHR Media page for a different kind of commentary on the unpleasant blind guy. Because the truth is not always pleasant. In a world A team of ordinary men emerge from the ashes to give voice to the voiceless and hope to the hopeless. Sackhead Sean. Dude, I'm not saying cop for the stupid promo. Sackhead Clint. All good friends of ours usually show Show up drunk. Also starring Sokka as the producer. I'm a little bit drunk, I'm a little bit drunk, cause I'm drinking, drinking, drinking. They are the Sackheads Radio Show. Every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Pacific on shrmedia.com. The bloviating Zeppelin. He's bigfooted enough radio shows to last a lifetime, courtesy of Sean Clint. Ken and Jersey Joe. Now it's time for him to waddle on his own two feet via the glorious SHR media. Gird thy loins for the bloviating Zeppelin's berserk Bobcat Saloon. Coming soon to Ossicles near you. Excelsior. 
Conservative media done right. You're listening to the SHR Media Network. You are, in fact, listening to the SHR Media Network. And thanks for coming back. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being in chat. I have to say welcome to uh, Bigfoot. Welcome. Good to see you, sir. Mr. Sasquatch, perhaps. And Mary Brockman. Mary Brockman is in uh, chat, and I've kept the chair open for her as well. Uh, Because, after all, if you sit in her chair, whoever the bartender is, is going to give you a right cross and an uppercut. So just be forewarned. Be forewarned, please. In any event, we were talking about uh, SCOTUS, and we were talking about Judge Gorsuch, and we were talking about how the filibuster occurred, and I've been going over a history of why it is that the filibuster occurred, and I've been going over the history of cloture, not closure, cloture, and... um, This is one of the reasons that you listen to me. I tell you about the Joe Biden rule, and I tell you about all the things that CNN and the American media maggots and the Democrats are not going to tell you about. Republicans, on the other hand, argue Gorsuch answered more than 20 hours of questions and was abiding by what's... Have you ever heard of this? He was abiding by what's known as the Ginsburg standard so as not to show his cards on how he'd rule in cases that may well come before him. That's called a standard kind of thing. So, again, 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 good God, do you not get tired of saying this or hearing it? It's okay when the Democrats do it, when, when the Republicans do it. It's bad. It's evil. It's mean. It's terrible. Well, it was okay. It got Ginsburg on the court. Fine for her, not for Gorsuch. So, tomorrow, which on the East Coast is already today, Does that make any sense? Yes, it does. Hey, welcome to Brian Glover. Good to see you in chat. Uh, Happy to see you. Um, So the vote tomorrow, like I say today, if you're on the East Coast, is going to come at 1130 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. time. The Senate is going to vote up or down on Judge Neil Gorsuch. And I believe that a majority vote is going to go for confirmation. But here's the deal. There will be... Armageddon, as Hatch suggests. And because of that, like I said, I think you're going to get another Supreme Court opening sometime this year. There's information that I had about that. And so if you get two, you know, this one's Gorsuch is all he's doing is replacing uh, Antonin Scalia. Now, the next individual that goes... Uh, that tends to move things over to the right. And it's not entirely impossible, as I've said before on Ken's show and Sackhead's radio, before Trump's, uh, his, his term is out, I think it's not entirely impossible that he gets the ability uh, to, to install another person in his term, potentially three individuals on the Supreme Court. Today, Jeff Dunnitz, who has a, uh, his blog at lidblog.com, had a very interesting article uh, which dovetails with mine. And it's entitled, Happy Going Nuclear Day. The Dems insist on Gorsuch filibuster mendacity. 
There ain't nothing more powerful than the odor of mendacity. That's from Big Daddy in the Tennessee Williams Cat on a hot tin roof on Friday, Washington, D.C. will be filled with the aroma of the fallout from the use of the nuclear option being forced upon the Senate by Minority Leader Chuck E. Schumer. On Thursday, the stench is much worse. The nation's capital is filled with the odor of mendacity. Led by the New York Senator, Demarats, who objected to filibustering judges in the past lined up to filibuster, the most competent judge nominated to the Supreme Court in years forcing the GOP to invoke the nuclear option. The rationale for the Demarats trying to block the inevitable placement of Judge Gorsuch on the court is that of Senator Schumer, who, also known as Dr. No has been doing his level best to obstruct everyone President Trump has nominated. Schumer caused delays in the vote to approve cabinet members who were going to be approved anyway. And now with the filibuster, he's fighting the appointment of Trump's first Supreme Court nomination. Dr. No understands that Gorsuch will eventually be approved. And that is not the issue. The issue is that the very leftist wing of the Democrat Party still mourning the loss of Hillary Clinton, wants Schumer to fight every single item that the new president proposes. Jeff, you're absolutely correct. They didn't get their way. I, I still posit this. They're still butthurt that they didn't get the presidency. And butthurt, they still can't believe it. They, they do not believe it. They're, they're not they're not going through the uh, the phases of of being hurt and the they still can't believe that something like that something as terrible as that occurred and uh, jeff has an interesting video in here by little chucky schumer as well it is an example of not fulfilling its constitutional mandate because the president nominates and we're charged with voting the nominees. The Constitution does not say that if the Congress is of a different party than the president, there shall be no judges chosen. Imagine that. Huh. Imagine that. So, when you think about it, and this is going back now to Jeff's article, the filibuster of Judge Gorsuch is even more absurd when one realizes that Judge Bork, remember him? A brilliant jurist who was unfairly slandered by Ted Kennedy as a hater of all things American received an up-and-down vote. So did Clarence Thomas, who was accused by the Democrats of being a sexual predator. Obviously, he was confirmed because he was both African-American and conservative. But Judge Gorsuch, whose only crime was that the president who appointed him beat Hillary Clinton in the election, gets filibusted. In the end, when it comes to Supreme Court justice votes in the future, today's vote and the resulting nuclear option will have little effect. There was never, just like Chuck Schumer said in that video, there was never a 60-vote threshold for nominating Supreme Court justices. It's not in the Constitution. It's not in the Bill of Rights. And Judge Gorsuch will be a Supreme Court justice by the weekend. And I think, I think that was absolutely a, a brilliant article um, by Jeff Dunnitz. And you need to see him. By the way, he has a show on the SHR Media Network. And it's, uh, he has a blog, lidblog.com. And then we step up into another bit of kind of insanity from the Democrats. 
And sometimes they just do things that I, I, I cannot explain. By the way, hello in chat. Welcome to Reactionaries. They do things I can't explain, and I cannot explain this. This is an article from the Washington Post, and its headline reads, House Intelligence Chairman Devin Nunes recuses himself from Russian probe. I, I don't get that. Why would he do that? That doesn't make any sense. So, um, let's, read, let's, let's look at the article. House Intelligence Committee Chairman Devin Nunes temporarily uh, stepped aside Thursday from the committee's probe into Russian interference in the presidential election as House investigators looked into ethics charges against him. Yes, ethics charges were filed against him for deigning, deigning to not notify Adam Schiff, the most powerful Democrat in the House Intelligence Committee, in a timely fashion. The House Ethics Committee released a statement Thursday saying it had determined to investigate allegations that Nunes may have made unauthorized disclosures of classified information in violation of House rules, law, regulations, or other standards of content. Contact, rather. Stop. Anybody that's an attorney, or anybody that's been the subject of an attorney, or anybody who has looked and worked in an open courtroom knows that when an attorney doesn't have anything to defend his defendant with, he or she goes for the personal attack. That's all this is for Nunes. It's an attack on him because he dared to, A, reveal the unrevealable. You can't make this causal link. You cannot continue with that because there will be penalties and the Democrats are ensuring that he is penalized. And you can't go out of order and not give information in a timely fashion to basically your colleague on the opposite side of the aisle, even though he's not House Intelligence Committee chairman like you are, Devin Nunes. And you dared to go out and tell the President of the United States before you told your highest-ranking Democrat in the House Intelligence Committee itself. Nunes has come under fire in recent week for speaking publicly about classified foreign surveillance reports he viewed on White House grounds. Nunes suggested that those reports identified President Trump and members of his transition team, whose names may have been mentioned by individuals under surveillance, or whose conversations with those individuals may have been incidentally picked up. And you know, that's, this is a huge issue. And I, last Tuesday, um, I'm not going to go into the whole thing because I spent literally an hour and a half last Tuesday dealing with the issue of Susan Rice and uh, how we got to where we are uh, and and Devin Nunes, what he found, how that led to all these other things in this chronological chain. Uh, if you want to listen to it, I would recommend you go to Spreaker and search for uh, Berserk Bobcat Saloon and you'll see my show from last Tuesday. Listen to that. I mean, I tear it absolutely apart and give you an in-depth point-by-point analysis of how it is that we got to get here right now. But I have two thoughts because of this. Three, actually. My first thought was sort of emotional, reactive, if you will. My first thought is, you silly fuck, Todd. Why did you go and recuse yourself and essentially say, oh, I'm sorry, mea culpa, mea culpa, 
when in fact, in my opinion, you have nothing to be guilty about. Let us not forget it was Jeff Sessions who then recused himself as Attorney General from uh, cases involving Donald Trump. Jeff Sessions, in my opinion, didn't need to do that. Hello? Anyone listening? Devin Nunes, you don't need to do that either. Hello? Where's your spine? This is becoming a disturbing trend. And I don't like it. I don't care for it. It doesn't make any sense to me. Unless there's a tactic. Is there a tactic to it? One of the other things I went, I, I wondered was, okay, did Devin Nunes see some information and decided he was going to go to the reporters, go to the press, the American media maggots, and make it known because he was afraid that if he hadn't, it would all have magically disappeared like the Democrats enjoy making all sorts of shite disappear. The other thing that I was wondering is, did he do this because Chairman Nunes can now testify without conflict by temporarily stepping aside and Trey Gowdy fills his seat? Is that a tactic? Is that what's going on? If it isn't, in my opinion... This is a a bad thing. This is setting a bad precedent. Uh, One that I don't think needs to be set, shouldn't be set at all. And if, if none of those things are true, if it isn't for a tactical maneuver, and it's just a continuation of the invertebrate fashion of the GOP, that shit's gotta stop soon, like most Ricky Tick. Now, on Sackhead's radio show, which is on every Wednesday, uh, right at this time, as a matter of fact, 8 p.m. starts at 8 p.m. on Wednesdays, Pacific, 11 p.m. Eastern, and Sackhead's let me on the show. Last night, I I said, you know, I'm going to tell you something kind of interesting that I discovered about China and Russia. And I didn't want to Bigfoot my own show, and I wanted to keep it for tonight. I wanted to keep it for the people here that are listening. And number one, thank you for listening, if you're listening to me live. Number two, thank you for being in chat. That would include Brian Glover, Mary Brockman, Mary Brockman, Big John, excuse me, Bigfoot, uh, Mike Reactionaries, Mr. Exceptional One, that's Kenneth McClinton, I'm sorry, Sir Ken, and one viewer. But I told you that there would be information, sort of revelatory information about Moscow and Beijing, because I discovered an article that once I get to it, you'll begin to say, okay, I think we need to make some changes, and I think we need to perhaps make some changes very soon. This is from Zero Hedge. Zero Hedge, if you ask the average Democrat, is fake news, except I find that it has insight that a lot of other news organizations don't have because they either they're lazy or they don't care. Most American media maggots today are lazy. This is an article whose headline goes, Moscow and Beijing join forces to bypass U.S. dollar in global markets, shift to gold trade. The Russian Central Bank opened its first overseas office in Beijing on March 14th of this year, marking a step forward for forging a Beijing-Moscow alliance to bypass 
to purposely bypass the U.S. dollar in the global monetary system and to phase in a gold-backed standard of traffic and trade. According to the South China Morning Post, the new office was part of an agreement made between the two neighbors to seek stronger economic ties since the West brought in sanctions against Russia and the Ukraine, excuse me, over the Ukraine crisis and the oil price slump hit the Russian economy. According to Dmitry Skobilin, the deputy governor of the Central Bank of Russia, the opening of a Beijing representative office by the Central Bank of Russia was a very timely move to aid specific cooperation, including bond issuance, anti-money laundering, and anti-terrorism measures between China and Russia. Stop. BZ, you may be asking, why is this important? Uh, it doesn't have anything to do with Syria. doesn't have anything to do with the guy with the dead orange cat on the top of his head. And this is just more nuance and blah, blah, navel-gazing, blah, blah, bullshit. We're talking about money. We're talking about the United States having now roughly a $20 trillion debt. And it may be, in fact, $20 trillion at this point. If you go to usdebtclock.org, you can see that and find out. It's about the money. It's always been about the money. It's unsustainable. We cannot keep on this course. And what we have is Russia and China colluding to bring us down. I submit they don't even really have to do that. But listen to what they're doing. This, I think, is extremely important. The new central bank office was opened at a time when Russia is preparing to issue its first federal loan bonds. Listen. Russia is preparing to issue its first federal loan bonds denominated in Chinese yen. Officials from China's central bank and financial regulatory commissions attended the ceremony at the Russian embassy in Beijing, which was set up in October 1959 in the heyday of Sino-Soviet relations. Financial regulators from the two countries agreed last May to issue home currency denominated bonds in each other's markets. A move that was widely viewed as intended to eventually test the global reserve status of the U.S. dollar. They're pushing back. They're making a partnership two massive countries, one country with the largest population on the planet, and both with essential dictators, staffing them, leading them. They want to eventually test the global reserve status of the U.S. dollar. Speaking on future ties with Russia, Chinese Premier uh, Li Riquang said in mid-March that Sino-Russian trade ties were affected by falling oil prices, but he added that he saw great potential in cooperation. Vladimir Shapalov, a senior official at the Russian Central Bank, you know how hard it is to say those damn names, said the two central banks were drafting a memorandum of understanding to solve technical issues around China's gold imports from Russia, and that the details would be released soon. Uh, reactionaries, you're saying this is the next step towards BRICS. Hang on with me, sir, because I'm going there, okay? You know where I'm going. 
this is interesting. If Russia, the world's fourth largest gold producer, after China, Japan, and the U.S., let me state that again, because this is incredibly, incredibly important. If Russia, the world's largest gold producer after China, Japan, and the U.S., meaning Russia is number one in production, China is number two in production, Japan number three and the U.S. number four, if Russia is indeed set to become a major supplier of gold to China, the probability of a scenario hinted by many over the years, namely that Beijing is preparing to eventually unroll a gold-backed currency, increases by order of magnitude. Stop. Does this not make you think something about Fort Knox? I happened to write a particular article about this issue back in, I think it was 2011, if I'm not mistaken. So, six years ago, this was an issue. Because one day I happened to see a, a program, and I thought, huh, Fort Knox, interesting. Uh, because it, was, it, it has been postulated, you know, in the past that uh, there may, in fact, be no gold in the United States Bullion Depository, otherwise known as uh, Fort Knox in Kentucky. It is alleged that Fort Knox holds over 5,000 tons, 147.2 million troy ounces, as gold is that's measured that way in troy ounces. Fort Knox holds over 5,000 tons of gold, in contrast, though, the Federal Reserve Bank in New York's Manhattan Underground Vault is alleged to hold seven, well, almost 8,000 tons of gold. But some of it is supposed to be held in trust for foreign nations, central banks, and international organizations. The necessity for the bullion depository at Fort Knox came about by Franklin Delano Roosevelt, uh, and as far as I'm concerned, it, his illegal Executive Order 6102, which resulted in the, the physical confiscation of gold in all forms from private American citizens on April 5th of 1933. After that happened, guess what? Fort Knox was completed in 1936, only three years later. EO, that's an executive order, as you know. EO 6102 criminalized the possession of physical gold by anyone other than the United States government. People were paid at that time $20.67 per troy ounce for the gold they possessed. People who then, back in the day, had big amounts of gold had to send it physically uh, to countries such as Switzerland because of various private banking laws. They didn't want to turn it into the U.S. government, so they physically had to get it out of the United States of America if they didn't want it confiscated. Of course, they told no one. The U.S. government, of course, get this, realized a profit. Oh, amazing. A profit from EO 6102 and used that money to create the Exchange Stabilization Fund brought about by the Gold Reserve Act of 1934. What's that? 
The Gold Reserve Act, Act had economic ramifications far beyond national finance. At that time, uh, all sorts of contracts stipulated that the money, their monetary terms, could be demanded in gold. Such gold clauses, as they were called, were intended to protect against the United States devaluing the dollar. This makes sense. When the Emergency Banking Act of 1933 and the Gold Reserve Act of 1934 outlawed the use of gold, then such contracts became uh, controversial. In the gold clause, and I'm going to get a little technical here just for a second, Norman versus, uh, versus Baltimore and Ohio Railroad, um, if uh, he were here, 1,000 metric tons. This is the United States stepped completely away from the gold standard. Zeppelin. He's big-footed enough radio shows to last a lifetime, courtesy of Sean, Clint, Ken, and Jersey. Now it's time for him to waddle on his own two feet via the glorious SHR media. Gird thy loins for the bloviating Zeppelin's berserk Bobcat Saloon. Coming soon to Ossicles near you. Excelsior. Conservative media done right. You're listening to the SHR Media Network. Welcome back. Welcome back. We keep having something going on with the SHR Media Network site. Uh, we were discussing this, and uh, Clint, techno giant that he is like me, we kind of tend to think that it's not in Spreaker because I can hear it clearly on Spreaker. If you miss any of this and you want to go back, you can always go to Spreaker and see it and hear it in podcast. Uh, but I'm afraid that it appears to be even not this board, not this computer, not this laptop, though it's not the finest in the world or the newest. I'm afraid it uh, might be the SHR site. So we're going to have to try to do something uh, about that as much as we possibly can. I was talking about Fort Knox and some interesting things about it, and I was saying that it becomes more and more obvious that our trust and confidence in the American dollar is not backed with anything anymore. It's all about trust. It's all about feelings. It's all about emotions. Uh, you know, what kind of confidence do you have in your dollar? And that's backed by what kind of confidence do you have in your American government? And so you, uh, you remember that. Do you remember the one thing that Rand Paul, no, I'm sorry, not Rand Paul, Ron Paul said, and uh, there were some things perhaps a lot of things that I disagree uh, about Rand Paul. Ron Paul, good God, wake up easy, is uh, he said, audit the Fed. And I, I have to completely agree with him. The Fed needs to be audited. He's called for an actual audit of the Fed, and he was rebuked. And that would include the Treasury Department, which by extension would call for an audit and examination of the bullion depository at Fort Knox. I think that needs to be done. I credit that to Ron Paul. The last president, to my knowledge, who actually visited Fort Knox... For reassurance, I'm sure, was then-President Ronald Wilson Reagan. So, the proverbial chase about Fort Knox 
and our cash is this to this point. Our U.S. government alleges that there are still over 5,000 tons of gold in Fort Knox, 7,000 tons in New York City. With that in mind, there are those persons locally as well who say that there is little, if any, gold left in Fort Knox and that over the years it has been sold, ransomed, distributed, sown to the four winds for political purposes. Which brings up, uh, as far as I'm concerned, a sort of a, the U.S. dollar, bypassing the U.S. dollar trade in gold. BRICS countries are large economies with large reserves of gold. Now, who are the BRICS companies? BRICS stands for Brazil, Russia, India, China, and uh, they were the initial BRIC coalition, but now there's S, which is now South Africa. So the BRICS nations are large economies with large reserves of gold in impressive amount of production and consumption of the precious metal. In China, the gold trade is conducted in Shanghai. In Russia, it's Moscow. Their idea is to create a link between the two cities in order to increase trade between the two markets. In other words, here's my point. And this should be a wake-up call for everybody in D.C. who's navel-gazing about all, co- all kinds of political stuff. China and Russia are shifting away from dollar-based trade to commerce which will eventually be backstopped by gold, or what is gradually emerging as an Eastern gold standard, one shared between Russia and China, and which standard would you tend to have confidence? I could only conclude that it wouldn't be the United States anymore. It would not be the United States of in whose currency do something with website I keep hearing and having everybody in chat saying that we're going in and out, we're going in and out. Uh, Dave Milner has indicated that if you go to Spreka.com slash user slash Sackheads Radio, you'll be able to hear it by way of Spreka. Uh, I again apologize. That might be the best way to do it, and that might have to be the stopgap measure for a while until we get this thing hammered out. I'm afraid it's the, the website itself. Anyway, I was talking about North Korean missile tests by Kim Jong-un, the uh, crazy nutball with the wacky haircut and the funny specs. And I look around for stuff. I look all around the U.S. and I look around in, in the U.K., in U.K. press. And I happen to find this particular article that I haven't really heard uh, blasted around the American media maggot sphere so to speak, recently. And this is from the UK Telegraph. And I find it to be a rather startling headline. It says this, I never would have guessed or thought about it at all. U.S. cyber attacks may be bringing North Korean missile down. Experts are suggesting the in-flight failure and crash of the missile of the missile launched by North Korea on Wednesday could have been the result of a left of launch attack by the United States. Yes, reactionaries, we're on to North Korea. That's correct. Wednesday's missile has been identified as a liquid fueled extended range scud and was launched shortly after dawn from near the city of Sinpo on the east coast of the Korean Peninsula. U.S. Pacific Command estimates that the weapon flew for a maximum of nine minutes and traveled less than 40 miles before spinning out of control into the Sea of Japan. That's not making Japan very comfy, 
as you well know. Japan having recently decided that it's considering a first strike option against uh, North Korea. When Japan decides it's going to do that, they're very frightened. North Korea's missile program has a high rate of failure with another medium-range weapon falling during flight earlier in March. In early 2016, a Musudan missile fired to mark the anniversary of the birth of Kim Il-sung, the founder of the nation, blew up immediately after launch and damaged uh, its mobile tractor erector launcher unit. In November 2015, the North's attempt to launch a ballistic missile from a submarine ended in failure with the weapon breaking up underwater and failing to even reach the surface. And while these failures and others may have been the result of poor engineering on the part of the North Koreans, the UK Telegraph says they may also have been deliberately brought down by the U.S. experts. In 2014, then-President Barack Obama authorized additional research into left-of-launch efforts to neutralize North Korean missiles, as opposed to the more traditional deployment of anti-missile systems to destroy inbound weapons. Very interesting, uh, the theory. I enjoy that. Left-of-launch strategies involved electromagnetic propagation, or cyber attacks, against missiles immediately after launch, including through infected electronics aboard the weapon that confuse its command and control and targeting systems. North Korea relies on sophisticated electronics for the internal controls of its weapons, all of which have to be imported in violation of international sanctions. Part of the beauty of a left-of-launch attack, says Lance Gatling, a defense analysis and president of Tokyo-based Nexio Research Incorporation, Incorporated is that the North Koreans can't be sure that any imported electronics have not been deliberately permitted to evade sanctions because they're infected with malware. Similarly, when a launch fails and they're also unable to determine what brought the missile down, there are many things that can go wrong with a missile launch, but it would be impossible to tell from outside if something had affected the internal guidance or control systems, Mr. Gatling told the UK Telegraph. Mr. Gatling referred, uh, referred to reports in the press of left-of-launch attacks targeting the North. It's been openly mentioned that there is a possibility that the North's supply chain for components has been... This is brilliant. Whoever came up with this, this is brilliant. <laughs> it has been openly mentioned that there is a possibility that the North's supply chain for components has been deliberately infected and they might never know. It's quite possible the parts that they are importing are intentionally faulty because through history there have been similar attempts to sabotage an enemy's capabilities, he said. Cited, and uh, he cited allied efforts towards the Second World War to infiltrate agents into Nazi Germany's program to develop V-2 rockets. Uh, maybe you find this a little bit of navel-gazing just sort of in and of itself, but stuff like this I find absolutely fascinating. And to you I would submit... It's about damn time that the United States of America stand up on its own two feet and do something and get into the computer systems, etc., including weapons, obviously weapons, of our own little classy little hacking units. It's past time for this to happen. Russia, 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 China, China, China. How about the U.S. kick some arse for a while? I'm just suggesting. 
I also found an interesting article because when you when you lose a guy by the name of Noam Chomsky from the Democrats, um, and Noam Chomsky is saying that basically the Democrats are crazy, they're insane. Um, it's about time that that the Democrats really do some internal self-examination, shall we say. Noam Chomsky is this guy, he's 80-something, but he's been a sweetheart for years of leftists, socialists, and specifically, and he'll make no bones about it, anarchists. So he aligns with anarcho-syndicalism and libertarian socialism. Uh, He was born to uh, German, excuse me, Jewish immigrants in Philadelphia. He, uh, when he was a kid, he got interested in anarchism, specifically because he went to a whole bunch of anarchist bookstores in New York City. And not just, you know, movie anarchists, but I mean the real thing. Um, the, only thing that I, the only thing that I agree with in terms of Noam Chomsky is he, he is an unconditional defender of freedom of speech including uh, Holocaust deniers. Uh, That's generated an arseload of uh, criticism of him, but he is a complete believer in freedom of speech, not to be impeded in any way whatsoever, and I completely agree with that. Uh, And then he got involved in people that were socialists, and they were involved in in various unions. Um, He got involved in looking through all these bookstores in the city, and he describes himself as an anarchist. He is a self-described anarchist. Now that you have a pretty good idea of whom this little Noam Chomsky guy is, he was on a, I think it's a PBS series, and it's called Democracy Now! And a person asked him a question, this guy named Juan Gonzalez. And he said, Noam Chomsky, I'd like to ask you about something that's been in the news a lot lately. Obviously, all the cable channels, that's all they talk about these days. The whole situation of Russia's supposed intervention in American elections. For a country that's intervened in so many governments and so many elections around the world, that's kind of a strange topic. But I know you've referred to this as a joke. Can you give me your view on what's happening and why there's so much emphasis on that particular Im- issue? Now remember, this is, this is fracking... Okay, it's, it's internet. I can say fucking. This is fucking Noam Chomsky. If you do any background on him, you can't get more left than this guy. Perhaps you could. Or maybe he's working on becoming more left himself. So Noam Chomsky says to this interviewer, it's a pretty m- remarkable fact. First of all, it's a joke. Half the world's cracking up in laughter. The United States doesn't just interfere in elections. It overthrows governments it doesn't like, institutes military dictatorships. Simply in the case of Russia alone, it's the least of it. The U.S. government under Clinton intervened quite blatantly and openly, then tried to conceal it to get their man Yeltsin in, in all sorts of ways. So this, as I say, it's considered it's turning the United States again into a laughingstock in the world. So why are the Demorats focusing on this? He didn't call them Demorats. That's me. I'm sorry. That's a little editorial comment. But hey, it's my damn show, so I get to do it. 
So why are the Democrats focusing on this? In fact, why are they focusing so much attention on the one element of Trump's programs, which is fairly reasonable? Stop the presses. This is Noam Chomsky saying that Trump, the guy with the dead orange cat on the top of his head, is actually reasonable. Smack me upside the head. What the hell? The one ray of light in this gloom, Chomsky says, trying to reduce tensions with Russia, that's the tensions on the Russian border are extremely serious. They could escalate to a major terminal war. Efforts to try to reduce them should be welcomed. Just a couple of days ago, the former U.S. ambassador to Russia, Jack Matlock, came out and said that he can't believe that so much attention is being paid to apparent efforts by the incoming administration to establish connections with Russia. He said, sure, that's just what they ought to be doing, meaning that we need to reduce tensions with Russia. Why wouldn't we want to? Except it's not in the political interests of the Democrats right now. Dave Milner in chat says, yeah, we need to partner with Russia to fight Islam. We partnered with the Soviets in World War II. Dave... Dave, here's a bit of history just for you, and I know you know this is true. What did Patton say? Because in retrospect, what do we know? Patton was correct. Absolutely correct. And yet, you've got Noam Chomsky, the lefter, the leftist of any on the left, saying this. So he continues to say, so meanwhile, this one topic is the primary locus of concern and critique, while meanwhile, the policies are proceeding step by step, which are extremely destructive and harmful. So, you know, uh, yeah, maybe the Russians tried to interfere in the election. That's not a major issue. Maybe the people in the Trump campaign were talking to the Russians. Well, okay, not a major point, certainly less than is being done constantly. And it's kind of a paradox, I think that the one issue that seems to inflame the Democratic opposition is the one thing that has some justification and reasonable aspects to it. Good fucking God, this is Noam Chomsky saying the Democrats are, are, are blithering idiots. Of course, you and I all know that that's true. But again, this goes to the fact that, and I will insist until the day I die, we'll, you'll look back in history. History will recall this period of time as being damn near insane if we don't incinerate ourselves in the next 10 years or so. And not just in Syria. It could be anywhere on the planet. Dave, yes, you're right. Patton was right, wasn't he? Nudge, nudge, nick, wink, wink. I know you know about history. What did Patton say for those who don't know? Patton said... That once we'd gotten into Germany, and the Russians were there, we met the Russians, he said we should have gone right on into Stalingrad and then Moscow, while we had the Russians on the run and they were weak. Imagine that. Now I'm going to throw this other little tidbit to you. I'll say this. Schwarzkopf was right. Just a little bit of history for you and me. Monsieur!
again. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, thanks for listening to the Bloviating Zeppelin's Berserk Bobcat Saloon on the SHR Media Network. If you want to contact me, you'll find me on Twitter at BZEP and on my blog at bloviatingzeppelin.net. My original intro music is by Possessed Tranquility. You can find them at ReverbNation.com. I want to get them on the show one day, and I've asked them. I haven't heard back yet. Promotional consideration by Lockheed Martin Skunk Works and the Boeing Company, because if it ain't Boeing, I ain't going. So will Tiara's, my tiara, is by My Little Pony. And of course, thanks to my personal KC-135 Kettle One refueling team. Thanks to everyone in chat. Thanks to everyone for listening, despite the fact that the website may be clonky. Thanks for listening. Thanks for interacting in chat. And thanks for listening via podcast. Be safe. God bless. Come back. See you later, folks. Quiet down now and get some sleep. Night, everybody. Good night, Mama. Good night, Ben. Good night, everyone. Good night, Mama. Good night, Daddy. Good night, children. Good night, Daddy. Good night, Elizabeth. Good night, Jim Boy. Good night, Jim Bob. Good night, Jim Bob. Good night, Jim Bob. What's going on? I was asleep. What's everybody doing? Good night, Good night, Jim Bob. <laughs> <laughs>